This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Understanding the current world crisis, its causes, and the ways that you could help solve it. Watch the cable news channels or the television network's daily reports, and you will often hear the word crisis. Every world event, it seems, is a crisis. A word that once referred to the very worst situations is now used to describe anything unfortunate. As listeners may remember, during the COVID lockdowns, the chance that someone might sneeze in public became a crisis. What the news hawks don't tell you is that there is only one crisis. It is the result of humanity's revolution against God. Mr. John Horvat explores that idea in his essay, What So Many Get Wrong When Trying to Understand the Crisis. This essay is derived from a talk that Mr. Horvat gave at the American TFP's last annual conference. If you would like to get information about attending the 2023 conference, please contact the offices of the American TFP in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. It is very painful to watch. So many people see the nation's problems and are very articulate in sizing them up. They can be good observers and provide brilliant analysis. However, what is afflictive is that many of these people need to see the crisis better. They do not take things to their final consequences. Some do not go far enough in their analysis. As a result, they get it wrong when looking for solutions. Some get it wrong because they look for solutions that address symptoms, not causes. They will heroically attack abortion, for example, but not the impure behaviors that trigger it. They will oppose the green agenda because it hurts the economy, but not the heretical Gnostic doctrines behind it. They will attack critical race theory, but not its Marxist class struggle philosophy. Others get it wrong because they think they can tweak the system and return to the way things were before. Others rightly conclude that the situation is horrible. However, they want to be rid of everything and start over again without a blueprint or concrete plans for rebuilding. However, the main reason people get it wrong is that they need to understand the crisis better. America is not just facing some disastrous events or a period of instability or turbulence. The world is facing a process called the Revolution with a capital R. Its ultimate goal is to destroy what is left of Christian civilization. When one understands the nature of this worldwide crisis— it necessarily makes the response more effective. This historical process is described in detail in the book Revolution and Counter-Revolution by Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira. The eminent Catholic thinker and man of action discusses the main characteristics of this revolution and thus provides the means to get it right. In the first part of the book, the author defines the five fundamental characteristics of the revolution, the supreme enemy of Christian civilization. 
These five characteristics are: one, it is universal. The crisis is universal. All peoples and places are affected by it to a greater or lesser degree. This revolution is everywhere. There is no Benedict option to which one can go to escape from it. Two, it is one. This crisis is one. It is not limited to a single issue, but makes links to all other issues. The revolution is not a range of problems developing side by side independently of each other. It has unity. The author uses the brilliant analogy of a forest fire, saying that when a fire breaks out in a forest, it cannot be regarded as quote a thousand autonomous parallel fires of a thousand trees burning in close proximity unquote. It forms one fire, burning one entity, which is the forest. Moreover, the great force of heat of each little fire causes them all to intermingle and multiply in effect. The forest fire is a single fact manifested in many ways. So also is the revolution. Three, it is total. In any given country. This crisis develops and invades all powers of the soul and fields of culture and human action. The revolution is not limited to one field like politics or economics, but invades them all, even the most unlikely things. This totality explains why there is now racist math or sexist grammar and pronouns. This revolution invades all fields. Four, it is dominant. The revolution dominates the culture and society. Through this dominating force, it achieves consistent and vigorous results. Everything works efficiently toward the revolution's goal of destroying Christian civilization. Five. It is processive. Finally, the present crisis is not a collection of spectacular yet isolated episodes, but a process that is already six centuries old. It is a long chain of causes and effects, producing severe convulsions since the 15th century. The revolution can be traced and understood by looking at history. These are the five characteristics of the revolution. It is universal, one, dominant, total, and processive. This is the enemy, and it has a single goal: to destroy Christian civilization. People get it wrong when they clash with this enemy without considering these points and goal. The left very often. But not always understands these aspects of the revolution and acts accordingly. Thus, the left can embrace a wide variety of causes as a part of a universal process. 
the radical activities of the LGBTQ plus movement willingly add another letter to their alphabet to make other leftists part of their cause. They understand how it all comes together and targets the church and Christian civilization. Many times, however, Conservatives can get it wrong because they do not consider these five characteristics of the revolution. For example, many people try to reduce the fight to a process that has as its goal the abuse of control, power, and money. Those things are involved in the struggle, but the revolution's ultimate goal is destroying what remains of Christendom. Others reduced the crisis to individuals, like George Soros or Klaus Schwab. They are revolutionaries, but they are not the revolution. They want to destroy the church and Christian civilization because of the revolution's revolt against God. It is a fight spearheaded by the devil. Thus, The debate must be framed from this perspective to get it right. Indeed, the left frames the debate this way. Seeing things this way clarifies what is at stake. It allows a proportional counter-revolutionary action. People can see how this offends God and Our Lady. This vision increases one's love of God by forcing one to turn to Him, work with His grace, and find solutions. People will get it right because it addresses the big picture. Just as many people do not understand the nature of the revolution, so too are most people mistaken about its causes. Just as there is one revolution, there is one cause, sin. That cause manifests itself in many different ways. Just as sinners are individuals, so are the ways in which they sin. However, all sin, no matter how minor it may appear, is a rebellion against God and the order that he created. Satan knows this. That is the reason that he is so eager to persuade people to call sin by any other name. He prefers that we think of excuses and justifications because excuses and justifications do not bring us closer to God. Mr. Horvat explores the effects of this tendency in his essay, Sin, the one influence not allowed to explain our crisis. As the midterm elections fade away, most conservatives are left feeling uneasy about the results. The pundits and media have had their day in explaining why the Republicans did so poorly. Fingers are pointed everywhere with all sorts of accusations, credible and far-fetched. No one is completely happy with the explanations. However, one factor weighs heavily upon the state of the nation. It does not explain everything, but it does clarify something. That factor is sin. It is a forbidden topic that many people reject as an influence. Its use offends many who only see things in political or economic terms. The mention of sin sins against the tenets of the liberal political order. 
19th century liberalism held that government and civil society are value-neutral platforms that exist solely to maximize personal happiness and prevent individuals from hurting others. Liberals tend to ignore sin as a subjective judgment in a world without objective right or wrong. People might even believe in sin if it makes them happy, but it should not intrude on the lives of others. Everyone should be allowed to do anything, even sin, as long as it does not hinder another's happiness. In such a liberal, value-neutral world, Everything takes on a Hollywoodian air, full of fun, laughter, and superficiality. It is like a cruise ship on a never-ending cruise where all suffering is avoided. Of course, such a world does not exist since everyone experiences suffering and death. However, the official narratives of liberalism can mask this suffering by having people assume Facebook-style happiness. Meanwhile, the super-organized state and automated technology ensure the world works according to this plan. Today, this liberal illusion is fast-fading. Sin appears as a factor that can help explain what is happening. The prevalence of sin has increased so much that liberal narratives can no longer hide it. Sin has political consequences, and the nation is feeling them mightily. Like it or not, failure to follow the Ten Commandments will always lead to personal and national disaster. Sin is much more than a personal decision. It breaks up relationships that spill out into society. When marriages break up due to the sin of adultery, for example, everyone pays, since it destroys businesses, changes communities, affects children, and often asks the government to provide services. The sin of theft in any form destroys security, endangers property, and creates victims. Sins like procured abortion, unnatural vice, and pornography corrode character, conscience, and health, with drastic outcomes for all involved and those around them. Pride makes people think of themselves as the center of the world. These sins have the personal consequences of diminishing personal responsibility and increasing government intervention. People vote for those who promise to facilitate their gratification, which is often sinful. Sin accumulates, perpetuates, and multiplies quickly. Individual sins create the atmosphere for others to sin. That is why the church always tries to take away the occasions of sin. People sin together as a group or nation, such as acts of promotion of sins like abortion. A sinful nation becomes a sad and challenging place to live and govern. When sin dominates, unity is impossible.
This plague contributes to the breakdown of the super-organized society that tries to mask the consequences of sin. Pandemics, war, recession, unrest, and crime only worsen matters by breaking down the framework that keeps society functioning. Thus, people are now exposed to the full effect of sin upon society. However, the worst thing about sin is that it offends God and deprives people of his friendship and blessings. Indeed, this grievous fault is the chief reason for avoiding sin. Any solution abandoning sin must consider this great God who is all good and deserving of all love. Thus, admitting the effects of sin is a shocking conclusion for a society still connected to the liberal dream of a world without suffering. Perhaps one factor, certainly not the only one, for the terrible election results is sin. People are attached to sin. Significant sectors of a decadent electorate are bad. Evil things are happening everywhere. Sin has consequences that have polarized the nation. It sets the stage for a culture war that reintroduces the notions of good and evil, right and wrong, sin and virtue. People still dare not use the word sin for fear of being judged judgmental. However, The sensation of evil is such that many are looking outside the liberal box for answers. We are fortunate to have a weapon against the effects of sin, both those of others and even our own. It is found in the Holy Rosary. Many might ask, how can prayer be a weapon? The answer is that the Rosary is as much a weapon as the two-way radio, a telephone, or a wireless telegraph. It is a communication device that we can use to ask for reinforcements or other implements to assist us in battle. Indeed, the Rosary connects us to Our Lady and through her to her Divine Son and the whole of the Heavenly Host. Mr. Horvat considers the uses of the Rosary in his essay, Yes, the Rosary is a mighty weapon against evil. It's the solution, not the problem. Daniel Panaton, a sensationalist writer in The Atlantic, thinks he has just uncovered a vast, rad-trad Christian nationalist conspiracy centered on the rosary. The hit piece, How Extremist Gun Culture is Trying to Co-Opt the Rosary, tries to turn the august sacramental into an alt-right talisman. By guilt of association, He claims that the rosary is entangled with an absolutist gun culture and conspiratorial politics. Any conservative activist praying the rosary risks being accused of weaponizing it and thus are a danger to society. Mr. Panaton could have saved himself much time and trouble if he had just researched the rosary beyond the conspiratorial websites he trolled to put together his dramatic rant. Catholics have never hidden the fact that the rosary is a weapon in the fight against the forces of evil. For seven centuries, the rosary has been a powerful weapon against the world, flesh, 
and the devil. The present era is no exception to the rule. Indeed, it is now more needed than ever. St. Dominic first promoted the rosary as a means of fighting against the Albigensian heresy in the 13th century. In 1571, Pope Pius V convoked all of Christendom to pray the rosary to overcome the Muslim fleet at Lepanto. The date of the Catholic victory on October 7th was later declared the Feast of the Most Holy Rosary. When the Blessed Mother appeared to three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal in 1917, she asked everyone to pray the rosary daily to end the fighting in Europe. Many credit the retreat of the Soviet army from Austria in 1955, after the Second World War, to the massive public rosary rallies organized all over the nation by Father Petrus Pavlicek. Wherever there is a fight against church enemies, the rosary is at the heart of the struggle. The church has never hidden the rosary and the militant imagery associated with being Christian in a hostile world. There is nothing wrong with adapting that imagery to modern times and warfare. It was not without reason that Blessed Pope Pius IX said, Give me an army saying the rosary, and I will conquer the world. With a proven track record, the rosary is a real and effective weapon against real enemies of the church. It strikes terror in the hearts of those who persecute the church, including those involved in the present culture war. Thus, Mr. Paniton's attacks on the rosary can only be explained because he sees it as a threat to the present godless culture. He cannot fail to notice that the rosary increasingly appears everywhere on the front lines of the culture war. Its incredible power has closed abortion clinics, canceled drag queen story hours, and angered satanic activists. His attack targets not alt-rightists, but faithful Catholics in the public square praying the rosary in successful obedience to Mary's Fatima request. And it terrifies him. Mr. Paniton's concern about the rosary has three significant flaws. First, he does not understand the nature of the rosary as a prayer that unites the person to the Blessed Mother. Thus, he creates the blasphemous fiction that the rosary beads as a good luck charm are weaving themselves into an extremist fringe. The rosary, by its nature, links the Catholic faithful to Our Lady, who is all pure, all good, and incapable of sin. Nothing about Our Lady can be against the common good. Those who say the rosary will forever strive to do nothing contrary to God's law. To suggest that devotees to the rosary are potential alt-right terrorists is an insult to all who love and pray the rosary. His second problem is the desire to isolate the rosary to render it harmless. While he accuses conservatives of weaponizing the rosary, he wants to ghettoize it. He deems the rosary acceptable as long as it stays inside the churches and out of the public square. 
The rosary must be reduced to a security blanket to bolster weak souls afflicted with anxieties. It must be kept in the hands of those he deems holy and therefore ineffective. The mixture of Catholic activism and the rosary cannot be allowed. Finally, Mr. Paniton's vision of the rosary wants to limit its use to vague and ambiguous evils. Rosary devotees must keep their fights subjective and internal. Target a folkloric Satan that exists only in the imaginations of nervous Catholics and not in the real world. The minute the evil is identified with a satanic black mass at Harvard University or Oklahoma City Hall, the LGBTQ plus agenda, or so-called reproductive rights, the writer sounds the alarm. The rosary then favors dangerous homophobic positions. It represents a, quote, militarism that also glorifies a warrior mentality and notions of manliness and male strength, unquote. The wrong-headed Canadian writer shows his true extremist colors by defending all the leftist positions. When the other side says to stop using the rosary, that is a sure sign that it is having an immense impact on the principalities and powers that dominate the modern world. See Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It is time to press the attack. The rosary is a most powerful weapon. Catholics need to use it proudly, publicly, and fervently. This concludes Understanding the Current World Crisis, Its Causes, and the Ways that You Can Help Solve It. Thank you for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our programs in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. The other is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. We ask subscribers to give us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. You can help Return to Order be more effective. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.